This is the World Class Cast podcast here, and I am Hannibal, one of the hosts with Jerry the Boss as my co-host. He is the owner of World Class Pro Wrestling, and today is the special guest. We have none other than former World Class Championship Wrestling star, United States Wrestling Association star, Florida champ- or Championship Wrestling from Florida star, He's also been a booker in many territories. He's also a star in Puerto Rico. May or may not be involved in the world-class pro wrestling relaunch. I guess we might find out more about that today. None other than the flamboyant one, Eric Embry. How are you doing today, sir? Hannibal, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, I haven't did but a handful of these things over the years, and... uh, uh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy doing this one and uh, catching up with the fans of Texas, Oklahoma, and all across the country, I guess. The world, too. We had, uh, I think, someone watching from Ireland last week when we had the Von Erich uh, boys on tonight. You look busy as ever, by the way, uh, in your office there tonight. <laughs> Are you still booking anywhere? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kick back i got my feet up on the desk and uh just kind of chilling you know i got my hall of fame shirt on and uh ready to rock and roll with you guys that's for sure and uh you have to uh uh i don't know give me a break uh, a little bit of cut me a little slack because i don't understand all this computer stuff i had no no idea people across the world can see this that blows my mind you know, I love that you got the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame shirt on. Uh, we should give that a plug before we really get into things. Uh, guys, if you haven't been to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, you definitely need to pay it a visit. It's a nonprofit organization. So whenever you go there, you're supporting wrestling. You're supporting wrestling from the past all the way to the present and the future. And it's a it's a really cool place if you haven't been. It's located uh, in a big blue building. I don't know the actual name of the building, but you can't miss it if you go to Wichita Falls. And uh, it's a really neat place. And they're actually expanding and and uh, moving in, I think, to a different floor that has even more space for people and uh, their memorabilia and, and th- different things from the past. Eric, do you have anything actually in the Hall of Fame? That, that place is awesome. I'd never been to any place like that before. And... Uh, uh, Johnny Mantell and his wife Kate, what a what a tremendous thing they've set up there. There is memorabilia. There's an Eric Embry display with my robes and T-shirts and pictures, and uh, I mean it goes way back to Luthes and before with boots and outfits from the guys and girls. And I, I, I spent two hours walking through just uh, with my mouth open. Uh, reminiscing and uh, looking and all that. And any wrestling fan, it would certainly be worth your time to go visit this place. It, it's unreal, all the stuff they have at that one place. Unreal. Absolutely. You know, I hope at one point that uh, we end up doing the show in Wichita Falls and we can actually work with the Hall of Fame to uh, do as much good as possible for them because you know, it's, it's definitely neat that it's in Wichita Falls, and we do not want it to ever leave. So, guys, it's like anything else in the world. You know, if you want something to stay, go show it the love that, that it deserves and go take the time to visit it. So, please. Yeah, it's awesome. Can't say enough about it. It's awesome. Awesome. And, you know, you can go to uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame on this computer and uh, take a tour through it also. 
Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Light, light them up. Light them up. <laughs> so how did you guys start working together? I know you've known each other for a long time, and you might be working together again down the road, but how did it all start? So this is kind of funny. Eric is elusive. He's hard to find. Whenever he left wrestling, he really left wrestling. And uh, you know one thing about it, though? You got to watch the internet because you can track people down if you really, really want to. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that Eric uh, had somebody had put on the Internet that Eric worked for Dish Network. And that's really all I needed to know. <laughs> from there, uh, I hunted him down. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that whenever I had called him the first time that he gave me a call back and uh, he actually came and worked our second God Bless Texas show a couple years ago in uh, Dallas at Gillies. And we've been friends ever since, you know, the, and, and friends is a heavy word in wrestling. I think oftentimes you come across a lot of acquaintances. You can you count them right there, brother. You can count <laughs> them right there. One hand. Absolutely. One hand. And we've been fortunate enough to, to share a real friendship with each other. And, and uh, you know, to me, that's that's a very special thing that transcends wrestling. You know, it's more important to me than anything that we do in wrestling. And so, Eric, ever since we've got to know each other, uh, we've been pretty close. And I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, you can you can thank Lori, our our friend Lori in Texas, because uh, I had you know I called Lori. Hey, do you know this guy? Is he honest? Uh, da da da. And she said, uh, whatever he tells you, you can take to the bank. And she wasn't lying. You know, you you've always been on the uppity up with me, and uh, I appreciate that. Likewise, likewise. So as far as uh, your history in Texas wrestling, Eric, uh, you want to tell the fans, the newer fans that might not be as familiar with you about some of your legendary feuds and uh, your success as a booker in Texas as well? Well, where do you want me to start? In San Antonio for Joe Blanchard or Absolutely. in Dallas? Start in or... San Antonio because there's going to be a, a combined world-class River City wrestling event in San Antonio, September the 19th, as part of this big relaunch. Yeah, I went to work for Joe. I don't know what year, long time ago. And uh, Joe and I got along great. And uh, uh, Tully and I didn't get along a whole lot. But uh, anyway, uh, Luke Williams was uh, come in as the booker and got along with Luke. What a, another one of those on one hand. And uh uh, stayed in San Antonio probably for a couple of years and uh, helped Joe run the office. And Luke left and went to Puerto Rico and I the book in San Antonio, uh, probably my first booking job. And uh, we ran our course there. And uh, Joe, Joe Blanchard was uh, almost too honest for the wrestling business. Uh, he was a great payoff man. If uh, the tickets come through, he paid it to the boys and uh, so forth. But uh, that territory was uh, was on fire there for a while. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is uh, we had uh, we were the first uh, national cable TV. We our show we got on USA Network first. Oh wow! And uh, uh, I was the one. Uh, Pat Patterson called and uh, Vince wanted to buy USA, buy our time slot from us. And uh, Luke was uh, kind of all for it. And Joe was no way. 
And Joe basically said, Eric, you make the decision and you tell them what we'll do. So I was the one that got to tell Pat Patterson, sorry, you can't uh, have it. We don't, we're not interested. So that kind of screwed me in uh, WWF back then. But uh, lo and behold, they ended up getting it. Uh, they ended up paying a back bill for us, almost $300,000, and they had the time slot. And uh, that's how Vince uh, got started with the USA. And uh, we all kind of laughed at him back then said he was out of his mind it'll never it'll never work he'll never pull it off but boy were we wrong he pulled it off and i, I think i think from san antonio uh oh i went to puerto rico and uh, had had some good runs there uh, luke was booking there and uh, when luke left there I, I got the book and so forth and then i finished uh my wrestling career the first time uh, from Puerto Rico and uh, was back home in Florida. And uh, I would make some big shows. You know, they'd fly in different talent for weekends. And uh, on one of those shows, uh, and some of the people, you've heard this story, uh, we were at a, an arena and I was in this little dressing room with Abdullah and uh, Frank Bruiser Brody come in. And he shut the door behind him and he said, Eric, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, gosh, he's mad about something. What have I done? And uh, anyway, the conversation turned out that uh, uh, Brody had taken the book in Dallas for Fritz. And it ended up with Brody on his knees begging me, please come to Dallas. I need you in Dallas. I never told you no one time when you called me to book me over here in Puerto Rico. I always helped you. You said you would return the favor. So that's how I got in Dallas. I uh, went home and told the wife then, blah, blah, I'm going back on the road for a while. It won't be real long, a few months. I got to return the favor. And uh, I went to Dallas. What was the issue with uh, Tully Blanchard? Was that just the time where he was having his uh, substance, yeah. substance abuse problems and he was difficult to deal with? Or? Well, I think we all were back in the day, not just Tully, by all means. Uh, and I, I don't guess I could say all of us. There was probably two or three that didn't have a substance abuse problem. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Tully was, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of thought he was jealous because Joe and I got along so good. And uh, uh, Tully was, uh, he was a firecracker. And, uh, but a heck of a talent, man, heck of a talent. And uh, just because we didn't see eye to eye on everything doesn't uh, make him a bad person. But uh, he, he, was, uh, he was a firecracker back in his day when he was young. Uh, we got a question, Eric, from Higgins Adventures. He wanted to know who trained you. Well, uh, there was when I first started, there was an Edward Strevel that nobody knows, a little outlaw promotion that kind of ripped me off. And uh, then I was at a little independent show and I met Charlie Thez, Lou Thez's wife. And we just laughed and had a good time. Uh, she was sitting in her car outside. And uh, then I met Lou 
And poor old Lou, the old grumpy fart, he had no choice but to like me because Charlie liked me. And uh, Lou just took me under his wing and uh, trained me a whole lot, uh, a whole lot of mental mental advice. And uh, Lou actually uh, uh, sent me to Mexico. The first time I went to Mexico, and had a tremendous, ungodly run in Mexico. Uh, I was one of the first bleach blondes that had ever been in Mexico. And I, uh, Mexican fans back then had never seen a Mexican wrestler sail. And I talked to Enrique Vera, one of their stars, and asked him, please work my style with me one time. And he did in Torreo, great big outdoor arena in Mexico City. and. Uh, Long story short, all the other guys were begging me then, please, I work your style. You work your style with me. I work your style. And uh, we started drawing over 50,000 people in that arena on Sunday afternoons. Unreal. But, yeah, Luthez, I give uh, most of the credit to. You know, uh, Joe Munez, he actually asked, could you could you uh, talk about the late Kim Tim, who was your partner as part of the Fabulous <laughs> Blondes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken was a good guy, good hearted as heck. And, and he was a good worker. Kim was a good worker. And uh, his wife, Babette, uh, not Babette, that was Juan's wife. I can't think of her name. Uh, anyway, Ken and I, we didn't travel together. Uh, he had four or five kids, and uh, they were young kids. And uh, uh, I, you know, I was young too, and I thought kids should maybe behave more than those kids behaved. But uh, Lord knows, after I started having kids, my kids acted just like his. I just didn't know any better. But uh, Kim was a good. He was a good partner, and uh, we had a good little run together. And uh, then I think he, he cooked up with Dusty Wolf, a job guy in San Antonio there. And uh, uh, Dusty was a good talent. And uh, I think Ken got him booked for the Fullers or something in Pensacola, and he wanted to leave. And we parted on good terms. And uh, I don't know that I ever ran into him again after our run in San Antonio together. So kind of set the stage. Like, you get to world class in 87. Like, what was that atmosphere like when you got there? What were your thoughts when you got to Dallas? Well, Brody was booking, and Buck Robley was helping him book. And uh, Buck was uh, uh, Buck Buck was a good guy, but uh, uh, it was wild. Uh, wasn't drawing much money. And uh, uh, Pat O'Connor hated me, hated me. And, uh, I don't never, never knew what I did to the man. Uh, but, uh, I can remember at Kansas city TV one morning, uh, they needed, I never worked St. Louis when I was in Kansas city and I'll look, that's where you made your money was St. Louis. And, uh, O'Connor wouldn't book me on it. And I heard, uh, Bob Geigle talking to him saying, Pat, he's a good kid. Pat, I don't understand you. What's wrong. He's a good kid. Use him. And Pat said, no, I'm not using him St. Louis. And they were talking about me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I got him back in uh, Florida. But then Eddie Graham gave me a little chewing. But uh, Pat O'Connor come in as special referee in, a, I think, Dusty and Flair title match. And uh, 
he come up to me and tried to talk to me and I wouldn't talk with him. I just told him to get back out of my face. I had nothing to say to him, but, uh, it, it was, uh, it was just like any other territory. It, it wasn't drawing big money, but, uh, everybody, we were all making a few hundred bucks. Top guys probably making a grand or so a week. And, uh, uh, Kansas city was my first territory. I called, uh, uh, out of the blue, called and Buck Robley gave me uh, a starting date on the phone. And it was my first territory ever. And that's how I started doing uh, these conventions was to return that favor to Buck to do one for uh, Ken up, up north that time. But uh, I done forgot what the question was. I'm having so much fun now. Was it how, how was the territory <laughs> when I got to world class or Kansas yeah. City? World class. World class. It, it was in an uproar. It, it uh, uh, the boys were doing their own thing, like they always had did. Evidently, I didn't know, and uh, I hadn't been there long uh, that the tragedy happened with uh, Mike Von Eric, and uh, that uh, uh, Fritz wasn't around a whole lot, but he was around a whole lot more then than he was in the latter days. And uh, it, it was uh, chaos. And then uh, uh, we all, you know, I, there was something like maybe a $75 a night guarantee. And uh, that's about what you made. Uh, and uh, I can remember that uh, when Ken Mantell came in and made his deal to uh, uh, buy the place from Fritz to uh assume all losses against half of the profit, which I've called the craziest deal in professional wrestling history. And uh, Fritz was so burned out, so burned out. And uh, I had started promoting spot shows and was uh, cashing in because all you had to do is go promote a show a little bit and you're going to draw money. And uh, I'd went to Fritz and said, you know, for me to stay here, I've got to make some money. And, uh, I'd like to run some towns. And uh, Fritz had a chart, Ed, Ed Watt, the old ticket seller there for years. Uh, Ed ran most all the spot shows, and Fritz had a chart. If you drew from like uh, X, amount, X amount of dollars, uh, $1,000 to $3,000, you made $200. If you drew three to five, you made $500. If, you know, all dependent on ticket sales. And I went to Fritz with the uh, proposal to uh, run run towns and him front the money to run the town. And we split the profit or split the loss. And he stopped in his tracks. He said, Eric Embry, nobody has ever offered me a deal like that. He said, yes, you can run any town you want to run. And I ran Belton, my first town, and did about 25 grand when we were doing five grand maybe at the Sportatorium. So I, I, I cashed in with spot shows. Was that a Bell County uh, Expo Center back yep. then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to, re went to a radio station and got a disc jockey to uh, wrestle Tony Falk in a shoot. And uh, they plugged it on that radio all the time and stuff. And cha-ching, cha-ching. Poor guy. He was so he was scared to death that night. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
I said, well, if you can't, if you can't whoop him, Tony, we're going to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> Al Hershon has a great question for you. He said, in Dallas, what was bigger in the sportatorium, the ring rats or the real rats? <laughs> Hell no, the real rats. Oh, brother. I mean, there were some doozies in there. There were some doozies. You know, the, the rats in the sportatorium uh, wasn't a myth. Them things had homesteaded there, brother. And I know because I lived there for a while, too. <laughs> yeah, what's the story behind you living there? Well, it made no sense for me to uh, spend $1,000 a month for an apartment when I had an office in the sportatorium. And uh, there was a dressing room with showers and everything. So uh, I, I lived there for a few months. And Tony Fox stayed there a lot, most of the time with me. And... Uh, I, I can't tell you the times, brother, across from the Sportatorium, there were a, a lot of interstates that intertwined, and there was a lot of homeless people that lived under there. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the times I partied with those guys. I'd stop, <laughs> stop at McDonald's and get bags of hamburgers and stuff and and go, and they'd play music. They'd get, they would get drunk as skunks and just, oh, I had a ball. God love them. You know, I just, I had a ball there. I had a ball. It was around that time where you guys did the famous angle, which I'll put the picture up now, when you <laughs> ripped down the uh, world-class championship wrestling sign and you rebranded at USWA. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that angle? Because I think it was you and Jerry Jarrett that came up with that. Uh, okay, Mr. Hannibal, I used to think you were one of the most cool podcast guys I had ever seen and watched, and I was so excited to be here with you, and you hit me with that. Thanks, pal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm going to enlighten you and uh, a lot of people. Uh, that that uh, angle, you know, it was uh, the, the after Jerry had bought in and everything, uh, uh, that angle made a lot of people mad. It pissed off a lot of people. But, and it was my storyline. It was me that come up with it booking. And the reason that I came up with that is because when Jerry Jarrett bought in, bought World Class, bought 51%, uh, the, Kevin, and I don't want to dog Kevin, but Kevin hated Jerry Jarrett from day one. He just did not like him at all, even though Kevin had started making more money than he had made in years. And Kevin always, I guess because Jerry uh, wanted me to book for him, but Kevin always thought I was the one that put that deal together for Jerry Jarrett to buy in and take over. And I knew nothing about that deal until Kerry told me one day, Jerry Jarrett's coming tomorrow. Can you pick him up? And that's the first I ever heard of that deal. But anyway, so as we're going, uh, you know, we've got the territory popped and uh, Dallas is almost selling out and uh, spot shows are just drawing crazy. Well, at the Sportatorium, Jerry Jarrett, I call him Little Man. Little Man would uh, come in some weekends, some weekends he wouldn't. But uh, we got served, or he got served, I didn't, got served with papers. Uh, 
like an injunction court order to cease and desist using the name world-class championship wrestling as Kevin had turned it around some way and Fritz told him he could do whatever he wanted. But what their lawyers were saying was that Jerry did not buy the name world-class championship wrestling. The Von Erich still owned the name and they gave us, it was like a 60 day or 90 day. I don't remember exactly. Uh, Uh, to cease and desist from using that name. So we had no choice uh, than to just stop using the name world-class championship wrestling. So what I do, do I just say, okay, USWA uh, has bought this, you know, we're changing the name and blah, blah, blah. Hell no, we don't do that. We come up with a storyline. And then here comes Tojo and PY and don't have to go into all the weekly details and this and that. And uh, uh, Akbar had infested the world-class board of directors and Max Andrew has this USWA. He's in charge of the board of directors there. That's the good guys and world-class is the bad guys. And it goes down to Eric and USWA versus PY Chuha and Tojo who represented world-class. If I won, it become USWA. If they won, it stayed world-class. Well, I got lucky and beat him, and we uh, abided by the Von Erich cease and desist order to stop using the world-class name without hurting our business and drawing power at all. Hannibal, buddy, that's really what happened. You know, I think that sometimes, you know, I think it's kind of similar to almost like the Montreal Screwdrop job in a sense. You know, whenever you're in that seat as a promoter, you know, it's your job to take care of your business. And I think that's a brilliant way that you guys worked that to your advantage to tell a story out of it. And uh, one one of our watchers, Jose, he wants to know, how did you make it out alive? How did you make it out of the sportatorium alive after doing that? <laughs> after tearing down the banner? Well, that with the storyline, Jose, was so over. The people were so into it. I personally was so into the storyline because it was a shoot. It wasn't a bullshit wrestling angle. It was for real. It was really happening behind the scenes. And I was just presenting it to the fans a little differently than a court order behind the scenes that I didn't understand and nobody would have understood anyway. And uh, it it, it was okay. Uh, uh, I started catching heat for it really uh, years later, years later, when people like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that tore down the world-class banner and the world-class went away. And uh, I think after... Uh, I, you know, I'd left Dallas and, uh, uh, Kevin's tried to bring world-class back and I don't know what happened there, but it didn't succeed. And then some other group come into the sportatorium and boom, boom, boom. And anyway, the sportatorium got demolished. So world-class wrestling was really gone then. And then I think people was like, well, if you hadn't tore down that banner, it would have still been here, which it wouldn't have still been there. But I kind of caught the heat from a few people over it. 
Now, as far as Bruiser Brody, I know you talked about this on Steve Austin's podcast, but some of the fans may not have heard this story. Could you uh, talk a little bit about his death since you were close to him and you also knew, obviously, Invader, you wrestled him in Puerto Rico and you were involved with the office in Puerto Rico? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Brody was... uh I don't know. Gosh, you know, Brody was my friend. Jose was my friend. Uh, Carlos Colon was my friend, man. They were were buddies. And uh, Brody could be the most intimidating son of a gun that ever moved, that ever, ever worked. But Frank thought he had to be, and he made a ton of money being that way. Ton of money. And when I was booking... Puerto Rico, uh, we're gonna, you know, we had big shows every two or three weeks, and uh, we call them big shows, and you know, draw thirty thousand people plus. And uh, I would bring Abdullah and Brody and just you know different guys in, and uh, in the office, uh, it's like you know, Jose, we can shoot this angle with you and Brody, and it's all Migo, please, Migo, no, no, he hurts me. And uh, after a little bit of that, I got to watching and. Uh, Brody kicking the shit out of Jose. He he was hurting him. And uh, I remember a spot show and uh, Brody come back. He took his boot off and with with his sole, not the top of his boot. He Brody was holding the top of his boot and swinging the foot of his boot, beating the shit out of Jose. And he come back laughing, said, oh, wait till he sees his back. And the next day in the office, I said, Jose, take your shirt off. Let me see your back. And, oh, my God, you know, you can put marks on somebody with a kendo stick, big whoop, that just stings. But, brother, he, he whooped him good with that. I mean, bad. So then it was always like, amigo, please don't book me with him. And uh, Carlos would step up and said, I'll work with him. I'll work with him. And so it was always Carlos and Brody then. And back then, uh, I had no idea that Brody had really hurt Jose in New York years before. I mean, sent him to the hospital, hurt him during a match. And I had no idea that had happened or I would have never tried to book those matches and went with those programs and stuff in Puerto Rico. And uh, uh, how do you say, am I trying to justify what happened? Hell no. You know, there is no justifying that. Uh, Can I understand why it happened, I can understand why something was going to happen, but that something went too far when you murder somebody. That's that's too far. You get your ass whooped, you come back and whoop them the next day or whatever. That's just part of the business. But uh, uh, I don't know. Some Somebody said, uh, it might have been Harley said that uh, Frank just had a way about bringing this stuff on his cell. And when I heard that being said that way, uh, in my mind, I was like, boy, how true that is, how true that is. But if, you know, if there was no Bruiser Brody, I would have never been in Dallas. I'd still had restaurants in Florida and probably still divorced, but uh, other than that. <laughs> so I'm, re- I'm remarried for 26 years and happy and got three beautiful girls and, you know, life is hunky-dory. That's great, man. 
Uh, we had a we have a watcher, John, uh, who wants to know who's the most talented wrestler that you worked with in Texas and Memphis. Okay, Memphis, I'll blow your mind because everybody thinks I hate Jerry Lawler, but Jerry Lawler uh, would have to be in the top of Memphis. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett, oh my God, what a hand he was! What a, what an opponent! Oh, and uh, Bill Dundee. Superstar. Oh, my goodness. Have you seen his car? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I had to look, I had to look twice. I love it. He's, oh, had that car. He's had that car for many years, brother. Many years. Yeah. There's a video on my channel, actually, of him uh, showing us the car. So he's not shy about being recognized in public. There ain't no telling what he spent on that paint job. That must have been when he was married. When he was married to the girl that uh, parents owned a bunch of banks. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think he made that off his wrestling money, huh? I don't know. He sold some merchandise, brother. And uh, you know, uh, a lot of people knock Billy, but uh, I, I stole a lot of Billy's stuff. I stole his stagger step, uh, the way he sails, and put that into my own style. And uh, out of uh, all the people in Memphis, you know, I didn't do a real good job. I, I never popped Memphis, booking Memphis. But uh, out of all the people there, I can tell you, Billy Dundee never refused my stuff one time. He always went out and busted his ass and tried to make what I wanted him to do work. Never tried to change anything. He was the easiest guy in Memphis I, I booked. And uh, Jerry Lawler, uh, talent-wise, and uh, I, I've said it as a talent. He is one of the best to ever lace up a pair of boots ever, bar none. You know, I think he still is, even at his age now. I think he's still one of the best storytellers there is. You know, I, we had talked about this. Uh, I think it was four years ago. I had him and uh, Jeff Jarrett headline uh, my first big Oklahoma card. And that match was like wrestling 101. It was storytelling from start to finish. And, you know, it goes back to the to that saying, work smarter, not harder. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just uh, personally, we have our differences business wise, made a lot of money working with him, learned a lot from him. That's where my punch comes from. Steve Austin told me one time, he said, man, I don't know how you do it. And this wasn't, I don't know, four or five years ago. He said, you got to tell me how you throw that punch. He said, you've got one of the best looking punches in the business or the business has ever seen. And I said, I watched Jerry Lawler when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, I got the punch from Lawler. I just, I stole his punch from him. Stole Dundee's stagger step selling. You know, if you can't look at uh, a talent and take something good from them and, uh, Put, put it into your own style, then you don't need to be in this business. I agree. You know, you've, you've touched a lot on storytelling too and selling. Where, where do you think in, in wrestling today, what, what do you think of the storytelling and selling? There is none, or there's very, very little. Uh, today's wrestling product to me is selling uh, production, meaning TV cameras, lighting, TV camera angles, and uh, they have uh, good talent, but there's no storytelling because they don't know what that talent's going to be in that spot next week. And uh, I don't really think they're concerned about uh, 
what talent's going to be in that match next next week. I think uh, it all of wrestling has gone to uh, Hollywood, so to speak, to where they're selling that TV show to the TV companies to sell the advertising, and they're not selling storylines to entertain the people like the continuing saga of as the world turns uh, of general hospital those days died when uh, vince tricked david schultz into slapping that damn uh, reporter and uh, you know what a setup that was but vince wanted to expose the business to where he could take it all uh all to the entertainment way and not go the ticket selling way. And Hey, he succeeded. He did it. He made his, uh, billions, uh, from the TV markets, not ticket sales. What's funny about the, the thing with Schultz is Hulk Hogan did something far worse to Richard Belzer. He actually choked him out and dropped him on his head. And the guy had stitches and everything, but Hogan got a pass. <laughs> got fired. Yeah, uh, David was set up. Dave, David was set up. David was your tough, and I mean tough, old school wrestler. And uh, you didn't insult the business, question the business, or expose the business around David, period. If you're one of the boys or, or a fan, period. And uh, Vince knew that. And uh, Vince put him in that predicament and then abandoned him. He didn't back him up. So to me, it was all game plan, all game plan. I think that's one of the worst things today is just how much the business has been exposed. I think, you know, as workers, promoters, even fans, you know, you're supposed to buy into what you're watching. It's hard to buy into any of it whenever it's just been exposed to the point. It's just not even believable. Right, right. You, you, uh, we used to break our neck and black our eyes, bust our heads, uh, bruise our bodies with sticks and boards to make you think it was real, to allow you to uh, dis, uh, dis suspend your belief to where you could, while you're there, you really get into it and you believed what you was watching because we sacrificed our bodies to make you believe. And those days are gone. Uh, it just, it's been gone for years now. Uh, Fritz mentions you were a terrific booker. Speaking of what you're just talking about, what advice would you give Jerry as a successful booker as he goes to relaunch world chat class pro wrestling in the fall to to maybe bring back a little bit of that old school or do you think it's too late for that um what, what direction would you try and take a company like world-class pro wrestling that has a good buzz going into its relaunch in the fall well i would tell him that uh he needed to hire somebody like eric embry uh that that has a mind like me that uh was successful when wrestling was wrestling and not sports entertainment and uh uh is the business uh the way i knew it dead it, it's gone but it's very very ready to make a comeback 
uh, it, uh, Bronco Lubitsch told me years ago, back when uh, Vince and we still had the Sportatorium going, uh, we were talking and Bronco was a smart son of a gun. And, uh, he told me that, uh, Vince was going to succeed. Every territory was going to shut down and Vince would control. He said, but Eric, it's going to cycle. It's cycled before. And I didn't know what he was talking about there. He said, and it's going to cycle again. He said in his lifetime, he said, Eric, I won't see it come back to territories like it is now. He said, but you in your lifetime, he said, you really might see it happen. And uh, I think the timing and uh, uh, more than the timing, the, the fans, the people are ready for that to cycle and to come back to the old school ways, the old school storylines. I mean, people want to be entertained. My gosh, they don't care. People don't care about camera angles and the lighting and the pyros. They want to be entertained with uh, the guys and the girls in the ring. Let them suspend their disbelief. Enjoy what they're watching. Make them want to come back and buy a ticket next week. And then, you know, your, your big shots in the company are not big shots, but your people that understand the marketing and this Internet stuff and streaming stuff and all that, they, they can go that route and uh, uh, make make big bucks, big business with your product that you're producing uh, to sell tickets with in uh, in the arenas. But don't forget the people in the arenas, how important they are. Wrestling is at its finest and always will be an emotional connection with this particular character and a fan. You can't get that connection through camera angles. You can't get it through production value and you can't get it through a move. That is a connection that you feel from a genuine character to this person watching. And that's what wrestling will always be at its finest, you know, and, and it's weird. It's like uh, wrestling has lost itself in a sense right now, but uh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I definitely need somebody like Eric Embry on my team. Well, we can talk sometime, you know. Wouldn't wouldn't that shock the wrestling world for uh, Eric Embry to make a 30-year comeback? Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> that, even, that even scares me. <laughs> I, I love it. But, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick this up before I forget. I don't know if you can see it. I'm holding it right. Eric Embry at bbtail.com. See, I told y'all I don't know how to do this stuff. Anyway, that's that's my email address that comes straight to me. So if there's anybody that watches this after it goes off there and watches it later on this streaming stuff or whatever, you can email me any questions that you want or any comments, this or that. And uh, I, I do really answer my email. You know, I don't have a whole lot to do right now, so I kind of answer email. <laughs> There's a fan question here from Bo Edmonds. He wants to know how it was working for Paul Bosch in Houston. And he says he remembers uh, you working for Joe Blanchard and the angle you did with Bob Sweetan where you got all bloodied up. Yeah. So, yeah, Bob was a character now. And, uh, uh, you know, I was young in San Antonio and Bob was the old timer. And, uh, uh, he uh, protege, I think the angle we did, uh, where he kind of took the young kid under his wing, and then uh, the kid got an attitude and turned on him. And uh, one of the funniest matches I ever had, 
was a scaffold match in the Hemisphere Arena, and we talked Bob Sweetan into going up on the scaffold with me. And that poor fat guy, God bless him. I think he's gone now, but God love him. He was scared to death. He was shaking. He couldn't move. I, I would potato him on purpose or something. He would cuss me like a dog. You know, you can have a big conversation up there and nobody can hear you. You're so high up. <laughs> and he begged me, please quit being stupid. Please quit being stupid. <laughs> that poor guy. Oh my gosh. But yeah, Bob, I had good matches with Bob and, uh, he, you know, he was the old school style. He laid it in, man. He'd light you up, but he didn't complain when you lit him up either. That's just the way the guys were then. You know, we do. We just no, nobody complained about somebody being stiff. What's your uh, what's your memories of Mick Foley? I, I don't know. I think I was this a couple of weeks ago. There was an A&E biography about him, and he actually talked about you. I guess uh he had done a really good job of getting over one night and he went out to his car and all of his tires were flat. And I guess he had said something to you and you were like, good job, kid. That's how you get over. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember, uh, Gary Young told me, had told me, you know, Gary, that's an under underused talent, Gary Young. But, uh, Gary had told me before cactus come to me and, uh, he told me he was going to take care of him. And, uh, so I told, yeah, you know, cactus boy, you, you must've got some good heat tonight. Then you're getting there, buddy. <laughs> That's what we're trying for. But, uh, cactus, God love him. Uh, I had, uh, when I met cactus and, and Gary, I had, uh, working that light heavyweight title belt angle with Jeff. I'd flew to Memphis and was watching matches, looking for talent, and uh, watched Gary and Cactus. I don't remember who they were working with, and they put them over, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went to Little Man. I said, uh, you got plans for this Cactus and uh, Gary Young? He said, well, you have to ask Lawler. He's booking. And so I asked Lawler. He said, no, they about run their course here. I said, my God, can I have them in Dallas? And uh, he said, well, you have to ask them. And I said, I'm going to ask them right now. And anyway, boom. Very shortly, they were in Dallas, and uh, that's when we really uh, started taking off. After the Iceman and my angle, and uh, Iceman is the guy that uh, turned me babyface in Dallas, and uh, then Gary and Cactus. Cactus was so smooth, but so reckless, and by saying reckless, I mean reckless to his own self. He never hurt me. But, oh, my God, he would beg me, please uh, uh, dump me over the top uh, into the first row of bleachers. You know, Cactus, you're crazy. I ain't giving you that bump. No, no, I want to. I want to. And he would beg, beg you to give him these crazy, crazy bumps. And I thought, buddy, I'm not going to be the one that cripples you. And uh, I think Undertaker was. It wasn't me. But uh, <laughs> it uh, – Super, super attitude, and uh, God, him and Gary Young, we hit them under the ring in the Sportatorium one afternoon, even before concessions or any of the crew opening the building and everything. They stayed under that ring for hours that day for to shoot that angle where they come up in the cage with the cage match, a blow-off with me and Akbar, and uh, they came out from under the ring and killed me the, for the tenth time. But... Uh, yeah, he, Cactus was super, super, and uh, broke my heart when he gave his notice. But he had been—I'd brought Robert Fuller in for a big show at uh, 
the, the Devil's Bowl, I think, a demolition derby thing we'd had. And uh, Robert had talked him into going to Pensacola. And uh, But I gave Cactus his first big TV break. And, uh, it, you know, he actually called me two or three years ago out of the blue and thanked me for his run in Dallas. And I thanked him for help getting me over in Dallas. So, yeah, and Cactus also- is super, super people. Super people, him and Gary both. You also uh, were a part of Steve Austin's first big run too, right? Yes, yes, yep. Uh, I had uh, helped Chris Adams. I'd, I'd been with Chris and Jeannie in Mexico. And then when I got to Dallas, you know, they were there. And uh, then a uh, little man comes in, you know, buys into Dallas. And Chris wants to run towns, uh, promote towns, because I told him, you know, how good a deal this is. And uh, Jerry Jarrett even came in with a better deal than uh, Fritz uh, for people that wanted to run spot shows. And uh, I got Chris hooked up with Jerry on that. And then Chris came up with the idea of starting a training school in the Sportatorium and uh, hooked him up with Jerry for that. And uh, that's where Steve Austin, uh, you know, Steve used to sit in this little hill section and give us baby faces crap man there's probably 10 10 12 of them and uh you just kind of avoided that section because you knew they're gonna mess up your storyline and uh, <laughs> uh anyway he he signed up for the school and this and that and i never paid much attention to school chris always tried to get me to watch and i just had other things to do and uh one day after he'd been there for school going on for a few months chris uh said you've got to look at this austin kid I said, okay. So after, uh, during the school, after Saturday morning TV, there's, they called it the cage up at the top of the arena where, uh, the fam people, wrestlers, wives and kids and stuff set where it had a, it was a cage. Fans couldn't get to them and so forth. So I went up the cage and watched and, uh, I thought, dang. Okay. And now Steve has started. Well, I don't know. I can't say that. Steve had a, had a friend, uh, Chris had an ex-wife and uh, I could just see the angle with uh, Steve and this girl, Chris's ex-wife and Chris and his current wife. I could just see it. So, you know, Chris, how long before you cut this guy loose from the school? Oh, well, you know, it's going to be a while. Da, 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 da. Next week, Chris, how much longer? Next week, Chris, how much longer? And uh, finally I said, Chris, I hate to say this, brother, because we're buddies, but real simple. Either you cut him loose and where I can start using him, or I'm going to go to him and offer him a job anyway. So, Chris, you know, Steve was paying Chris every week. And uh, that's how Steve got started. And uh, the two girls was just a natural. Oh, my gosh. And the people just, Steve, Steve could work decent. He wasn't a good worker. He'll tell you he wasn't a good worker when he first started. But the girls camouflaged everything and uh, made up all the difference. And what a run we had with those. Oh, my gosh. It was super, super. You know, it's crazy. That was uh, I remember the first time that I actually saw wrestling live in Ardmore, and it was at the Hardy Murphy Coliseum, and it it was a part of that angle. It was uh, Steve versus Chris, and and I still remember it to this day. It was such an amazing match. Uh, Mark. Wants to know, what memories do you have of Gary Hart? He said he remembers reading in his book that he liked you so much he made the World Light Heavyweight Championship just for you to defend. 
And, and he did. He did. Uh, you know, I, I had had enough of Dallas and uh, enough of Mantel. Uh, uh, Fritz, Fritz had me on a guarantee, and Mantel could not fire me, is why I was still in Dallas when Mantel took over. And I was Fritz's guy. And uh, finally, it was just, I mean, it was too much, too much bull crap. And uh, so I said, you know, I, that's it. I'm, I'm leaving. We just made a long trip up through Kansas and up to Kansas City for Bob Geigel, two or three shows and hadn't drawn squat and uh, got back to Dallas. I cleaned up apartment, loaded my van. And I said, you know, I've got to go by Gary's. I can't leave here without telling Gary Hart bye. So I went by Gary's and uh, told him I was leaving, blah, blah, blah. He said, wait a minute. He went in his apartment, come back out. And I used to babysit Gary's two little boys. I mean, we'd play ball outside and just had fun. And uh, Gary come back out and he got in my van. I said, you going to Florida with me? He said, no, we're going to the Sportatorium. Fritz wants to see you right now. I said, I don't want to see him. And uh, he said, no, come on. So I went to the sportatorium and uh, with Gary, we went upstairs, met with Fritz. And Fritz said that uh, he's uh, was going, this deal was in the works for Gary to take over the book, me to work with Gary. And uh, he said, but now you've screwed it all up, Embry. He called me Embry. You screwed it all up. He said, now we have to do it right now because you're leaving. And I said, I hadn't said I'm staying yet. And um, he talked some money and this and that and free hand and da da. I said, okay. And he said, all right, Hart, go downstairs and fire Robley and Brody. Tell them to get out of here. And I thought, oh my God, Brody's the one that brought me to Dallas. I come to help my buddy. And now, they're going downstairs to fire him and tell him that Gary and I are taking over. But I saw Frank a few times after that. He never healed that against me. He Frank was glad to have the pressure off his shoulders. We've had a couple of people ask, uh, what's your thoughts on or thoughts or memories on Kerry Von Eric? On Kerry? I loved Kerry. Uh, Kerry was uh, like a kid. He was one of the nicest people uh, away from the business. As a person, he was a happy kid. Uh, he was always just uh, happy, happy, happy. And uh, I could talk Kerry into doing any kind of angle I wanted him to do. And he, he showed up the most uh, for the shows and stuff. And uh, he... Uh, uh, am I going to say, oh, he was just a great guy, didn't have a problem? No, nah, I'm not going to say he didn't have a problem. I, I've said we all had a problem back in the day. But uh, Kerry was super. Uh, I, re You know, I said I could talk Kerry into doing anything. Uh, if anybody Googles or ever what you call it on the Internet thing, uh, Taurus Bullbach. Uh, Juan Reynosa, my buddy from San Antonio from the Joe Blanchard days. He had shaved his head and had a ponytail, and uh, he would hold his ponytail and do his gimmick and this and that. I had a hell of an idea. He was living in uh, Shreveport with his wife, and uh, I called him, and he said, oh, my gosh, yes, yes. When do you want me there? 
and uh, brought him in. Might have had a uh, one or two squash matches on TV with somebody, but Tars Bulba versus Kerry Von Erich at the Sportatorium. Tars Bulba took Kerry down with the claw, pinned him one, two, three, and Kerry got color. Brother, you <laughs> can have heard an effing pin drop in that Sportatorium. Ain't nobody believed it. I sent some of the baby faces to the ring to kind of ensure that Kerry was going to stay down and sell it and to help him back and so forth. I surprised him with that, but I was covering my butt on the angle. And, uh, oh, my God, Fritz called me the next day. Oh, Lord, did I get a chewing. <laughs> How did that conversation go? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I can't say it on the. I think the internet would even kick me off for that language. <laughs> it. Uh, I, I told him that uh, I said, you know, Fritz, if we don't sell out the Sportatorium on this angle, if you stay out of this and just leave me alone with your boy, just leave it alone. I said you can come to the Sportatorium and I drop your drawers and I'll kiss your ass in the dressing room in front of all the boys. <laughs> and you go, well, God, I'll hold you to it, Embry, and. Uh, you know, people people had never seen a Von Eric sell like that before, brother. And uh, oh my God! Then uh, it wasn't a week or two. Juan came to me, and tears in his eyes. And I said, "Brother, what's wrong?" He said, "I've got to go home." I said, "What is wrong? What's wrong?" And he said, I-, "I just messed Babette. I messed my wife." And he was he was sincere. He was so homesick. hadn't been there but a week or two. So homesick. So. He did the favors for Kerry and blah, blah, but never no big angle come out of it and all that. And he went back home to Babette. And uh, I went down to a uh, Texas shootout uh, uh, Johnny Mantell has there in Dallas, I think every year. I went to one three or four years ago. And uh, one of the first things I'd ever did back in the business, and Juan came all the way from Shreveport just to hug me and say hello. And uh, then he passed away not too much longer after that. Wow. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a great story. Ivan, uh, he wants to know, what what memories do you have of working with Hugo Savanovich in Puerto Rico? <laughs> <laughs> I called him Hugo, son of a bitch. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to touch on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I couldn't speak Spanish. I pretended like I couldn't speak nothing Spanish. I learned some Spanish in Mexico on how to count money and stuff. But, uh, you know, Hugo would... Uh, uh, the American boys would do their promos in English. You'd talk a little bit, stop, and Hugo would translate. And uh, Hugo was super. He was super. If you ever need a, a Spanish announcer, uh, check into Hugo. Because, I mean, he was super. And the, all the boys loved Hugo. And uh, I worked a couple angles with Hugo in uh, Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, he was married to Wendy Rickner for a while. And... Uh, Wendy, back in the uh, rock and wrestling days, uh, that girl was over, boy. And uh, I had a Puerto Rican valet, and we did an angle. I don't remember. We just did. We did an angle and uh, come back at the big show with Hugo and Wendy against me and Sasha. And uh, is that on the, the finish spot, whatever it was? But uh, Wendy was going to roll in and nailed me in the back with a baseball bat as I had Hugo in the corner killing him. 
And I told Wendy, I said, you know, Wendy, whatever you do, baby, just, you know, make it look good. Lay it in a little bit. Make it look good. That damn woman hit me so hard, I pissed my trunks during the match. <laughs> oh, my God. About back at TV the next day, two days, whenever we did promos, I said, Wendy, God. She goes, you said make me make it look good, baby. And I thought, oh, <laughs> damn you. She thought I insulted her by saying that like she was uh, not a good worker and it wouldn't look good. Oh, my God, she made it look good. <laughs> but I love Hugo. I love Wendy, too. Oh, they were buddies. They What's were buddies. your memories of uh, Skandar Akbar and uh, your feud with him? Yeah, Akbar was super. Akbar, I just had to tell Akbar what I wanted. And he would break his neck to pull it off. And uh, every once in a while, I would come up with an idea that uh, that would work. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, one of the best ones, though, <clears throat> we got we're working as a little angle. Percy and Akbar going to have the big blow off match against each other. And the loser has to wrestle the wrestling bear next week at the Sportatorium. We brought in the bear, Nick Adams, for a week to <laughs> make the change. Okay? So, I don't remember the finish. Anyway, Percy wins. Now, next week, Akbar has to wrestle the bear. Now, this is how Gary Young was. Ribbon son of a gun, boy. So, as as Akbar, Akbar's a little scared, but Akbar was tough. And Akbar's going to go show this bear he means business. So <laughs> wrestling rooms at the Sportatorium were all together, but had separate doors. So as Gary told me, I saw oh, Gary, no, you're going to get him hurt. He said, oh, I got to, I got to. <laughs> so as Akbar, the ring the bell, the bear's in the ring, and as Akbar is getting ready to leave the dressing room, Gary's going to go with him, but Gary squirts his hand full of honey and pats Zach on the ass. All right, let's go, Ack, and smear that honey on Ack's trunks. I'd bear like to eat Ack bar up. <laughs> uh, oh, Ack was mad that night. Woo! Yeah, Ack bar was Ack bar was great. He he just he fit right in there. You know, he had a wrestling school, and uh, he he just he was uh, him and Bronco were in, in encyclopedias of knowledge to the wrestling business. You could, if you wanted to learn, if you couldn't learn from those two guys, you need to go work at McDonald's or something. What a what about Iceman? You brought him up earlier. That's another one of yeah. my one of my favorite people in wrestling. What's your thoughts on Iceman? Your favorite memory of him? Uh, I liked Iceman and uh, used him a lot when I took over in Dallas. And uh, I give Iceman. You know, when I came to Dallas. It was Brody's idea, and I think it was part of a rib, to have me wear uh, spandex, spandex pants and carry a powder box and uh, with baby powder. And when I beat my opponent, I'd powder their face. Well, I hated that. And you can't get a gimmick over. You can't get over if you don't believe in your gimmick, period. And uh, so after a couple weeks, I'm like, oh, my God, this this is horrible. and. Uh, so, uh, I started filling the whole damn box up with powder and I dumped the whole thing on the guy and then it would take him 30 minutes to clean the ring up and stall the show. So 
we got 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 rid of the powder box that way. But I forgot your question because the powder box popped back into my mind. It was about ice man. Your thoughts oh, on ice man? Ice man. All right. So I came to Dallas as uh, maybe is maybe ain't wrestler with bleached blonde hair to one of the hottest baby faces ever in Dallas, and Iceman switched me from heel to baby face and got me over at the beginning as a baby face. So I love Iceman and uh, Brickhouse Brown. You know, I tagged him and Iceman up and oh my gosh, what, what working son of a guns boy, Iceman could go and Iceman knocked your nose in the dirt. Uh, if you tried to play around, I mean, I, ice was tough and, uh, and playing around, I don't mean shooting. I mean uh, out uh, acting stupid, acting silly instead of uh, taking care of business. But, you know, I, Ice would put you in your place. And uh, Ice ice got me over. And, uh, you know, all good things come to an end. And uh, we were winding down with that angle. And uh, one of the hardest notices, I, I'm meaning having to finish up a talent in the territory, one of the hardest I ever had to do was to go to Iceman and Brick and uh, tell them that uh, we needed to wind it down. And the big reason was Lawler wanted them in Memphis, and I had no choice. I couldn't keep them. He wanted them in Memphis. Memphis was uh, die not dying, but was down, and uh, they went up there and uh, rejuvenated that place. Yeah, in all honesty, I think you and you and I are probably two of the most genuine people in wrestling, and and I I respect both you guys for that. And well, I mean, you know you know what a rarity that is. Well, but, with with Eric Embry, you get what you see. I ain't flashy. I ain't fancy. I'm me. And uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you don't like what you see, oh well. You know, there are a lot of people don't like me. Hey, and, I'll take you just the way you are every day of the week, my friend. I ain't changing. I'm just me. I'm just me. Lewis wants to know what Chris Adams stories do you have? And he says his brother, Neil, is a legit judo tough guy. So did it actually run in the family? Chris was tough. Uh, now, I don't know legit judo tough guy. Uh, Chris could shoot a little bit. Chris could hook you, tie you up. Uh, judo, he knew. I don't know how how well he knew. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris and I were, you know, we got along great. But uh, and I would tell him right to his face, you know, you need to put the damn alcohol down, brother. You're getting stupid. And uh, when he drank, he got stupid. He he, he would get stupid. Uh, but just overall, the judo stuff, I don't really know because I'm not into judo. I don't know the judo moves and stuff. He had some fancy-ass moves, and they might have been judo moves. But uh, just overall, Chris was uh, one of the boys that were tough that uh, you didn't mess with a whole lot. Joe wants to know, uh, what about your matches against Mill Mascaris, and, and what do you think about him? Mill was yeah. funny. Mill, Mill was, uh, Mill was, I mean, a legend, my God, a living legend in Mexico and California, all those places. But, uh, Mill and I got along, uh, uh, I tried my best 
to work Neil's style with him when I worked with him. It was very, very hard to work with him uh, because you knew whatever you did, he wasn't going to sell it worth crap, but it wasn't because he didn't want to sell what you were doing. It was because that's just his style. That's the Mexican God that he had been for so many years. And uh, I enjoyed working with him because I was like working with a real live living legend when I worked with Mel. I just want to put a picture up that a fan, Brian Benson, sent in here of you working with uh, Akbar from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. <laughs> That's great. Wow. There was some other fans asking about The Undertaker, who you were there, I think, when he started. Yeah, yeah. I can remember when he came into the sportatorium looking for a job. Gary was booking and I was with Gary. And uh, uh, big red hair, big old boy. And uh, we got uh, Sammy Cohen to take him in South Africa to try to groom him up a little bit and stuff. And uh, put a mask on him. Use, I think I called him Texas Red for a little bit, maybe. And... Uh, Mark, he was a super nice guy, humble, nice, polite. Uh, hadn't saw him since he become the Undertaker, but uh, you know he had my Percy with him for all them years. So Mark's got to be cool. He had said that Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer had kind of ripped him off on his pro wrestling training. Did you hear about that? And what are your thoughts on Mad Dog Sawyer? Buzz was a tough, tough son of a gun. And uh, I'm sure Undertaker wasn't the only one that thought he got ripped off by Buzz uh, training-wise. Uh, a lot of the guys back in the day, you know, a, a Mark uh, would want to get into the business, want to learn the business. And uh, a lot, a lot of the guys would take a few hundred dollars, thousand dollars from these Marks and uh, stretch the crap out of them and uh, they wouldn't come back. A lot of the guys made a lot of money doing that. So Buzz wasn't the only one. Uh, as far as a worker, Buzz was a stipple worker as they, they come, but never cried when uh, you laid them back into him. You know, that's the way he preferred it to where he wanted to make the people believe it was real and help them to suspend their disbelief. Son wants to know, uh, What's your thoughts on Jeff Gaylord from uh, USWA? <laughs> well, Jeff and I hadn't seen eye to eye. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I have to leave it at that. Uh, I don't have any ill feelings or bad thoughts, but uh, I haven't seen him for many, 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 many years. Uh, last time I heard, uh, he, I think he was incarcerated for something. Yeah, a fan actually brought that up. I'm not sure what he was incarcerated for, but he had to be fairly tough in real life growing up with a name like that in the in the 70s. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was okay talent. I mean, he could work. He could work okay. And uh, But ne never had a lot of dealings with him, though. Never. I don't think I ever booked him. They didn't have him as my talent in a territory anyway, I don't think. 
Somebody also mentioned they wanted to know if you were around when Kerry Von Erich had his accident and if you were aware of the whole issue with his foot. Yes and no, or no and yes. Uh, I can remember when he came back. Uh, it was really, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of kayfabe stories, how, how he kayfabed it, he kayfabed it. He really did. Uh, his family really did kayfabe it. Kerry didn't take his boots off. He would get in the shower with his boots. He would come to the arena in his boots. He would leave in his boots. Uh, how, how the guy pulled off what he pulled off with a half a foot blows my mind. I mean, what a hell of an athlete he had to have been. Had to have been. More athletic than me with both of my feet. Yes. <laughs> Yes, me and you both put together, buddy. Me and you both put together. He just, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, Gary and I often talked how we could have turned that angle around and used it to even got, uh, use it to have got him over even more if that was possible in his heyday. But uh, to me, him thinking it was a hindrance and the people would lose faith in him without the foot. Gary and I thought exactly the opposite, but Fritz would never even consider going for exposing it and going with it. But I think the people would have really uh, took to him even more if he had come out and, uh, you know, I've lost it, uh, the half of the foot, but uh, it's not going to stop me. I'm a fighter. I'm a Von Eric and, kept going the way he was going anyway it would have been so much better in my mind but my mind ain't always right but fritz just hell no hell no we're not exposing this no al had a question he said has the internet killed the wrestling business in reference to storytelling a whole lot yes a whole lot yes could it be can it be revived yes uh can kayfabe come back? Yes, I, I believe so in my mind. And I believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. And uh, because people want to be entertained. People want to suspend disbelief. So it, it, it's going to happen. I think uh, in answer to that question, too, I think sometimes it's not the Internet that necessarily kills it. I think it's... Um, from a fan's perspective, I think uh, sometimes if you go reading the dirt sheets and you go reading recaps of what's happened before you watch the program, that's killing it too. You have the option whether or not you read spoilers, whether or not you read things before you watch the actual show. And of course, if you read that stuff before you watch it, you're not going to be surprised because you already know what's going to happen. So right. I think as a fan, you have to be conscious of that stuff too. I think it, it works both ways. Sure. Sure it does. The dirt sheets were a bad thing. Dave Meltzer was, uh, he's been a thorn in wrestling side from, gosh, 50 years. I don't know. Uh, back to that world light heavyweight title we created. Uh, I think I'm one of the only ones that uh, are back then anyway, that had ever pulled wool over Dave Meltzer's eyes. You know, he had his, his connections and all the territories that would give him all the scoops and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he would print it in his little wrestling observer and expose the business. And, hell, some of the boys reading this crap in the dressing room. 
But anyway, on that World Light Heavyweight title, Gary Hart knew, I knew, and Fritz knew, and Tony Falk. There's four people that knew. See, the story is I went to Johannesburg, South Africa for Sammy Cohen, Stephen Sean Simpson's daddy, and beat Pete Vander Graylin for that title. Pile drived him off the, the apron of the ring, and he'd been in a wheelchair ever since. I have never been to South Africa. I went, <laughs> I went home. We ordered the belt. I went home for the week to Florida. And we kayfabed all the boys, those four people, the only ones knew that I went home, that I wasn't South Africa for Sammy. And uh, Dave Meltzer printed it in the Observer that it was a shoot, that I had went to South Africa, won the title from Pete Bender Graylin, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, you dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) We had kayfabed whatever connection he'd had in our dressing room. We kayfabed them and uh, pulled it off. So that's that's all you have to do to bring kayfabe back is uh, is use it, use it. You're right, and and you have to, I think you have to keep that circle small amongst who knows exactly what's going sure. on. Why yeah, especially yeah. in that situation. Uh, hey, Hannibal, I, I don't think I told you on here how how much over the years I have enjoyed your podcast. You're like my podcast hero, brother. And I'm not just saying that because you're here, but uh, what what a tremendous job you do. I mean, bar none, buddy, you're right up there with the big guys. You are the big guy. I agree, man. You know, like I feel like it's 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 such a blessing that our paths crossed and, you know, you've been so great with our product so far. I mean, even setting stuff up like this, I don't think that, that myself and Eric could have done this without you. I don't think we could have figured it out. <laughs> I, know Eric, I know Eric couldn't. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you on. And Brian Burson, a fan watching live, sent this picture to you from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Eric against Jerry Lawler. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I got a lot of ink in the magazines. Uh, back in Florida, and then when I come to Texas and so forth. And uh, you know how all that uh, how all that happened? Wasn't because I was such a good talent. Uh, West, West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, when I was working for Eddie Graham in Florida, uh, there was this older feller that uh, would come in the dressing room, talk to some of the guys. It was separate dressing rooms, so, there, you know, wasn't no big deal about kayfabe or nothing. And uh, he talked to some of them, and uh, I liked this guy. I just, you know, we hit it off. You know, I'm probably 22, 23, I don't know. He's probably 50. But anyway, uh, I got to watch it, and he was taking pictures. And uh, so... I started getting all this publicity in these magazines and lo and behold, one big show they had bill after came down and, uh, come to me. He said, I want to thank you for being nice to my father. And I said, Bill, uh, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Anyway, long story short, this guy that I didn't give a shit whose son he, he was or had, uh, he was just a buddy that I got along with and talked to every week was Bill Apter's dad. Had no clue. He was just a cool guy. And uh, after that, Bill and I have just, we've got along forever. And uh, But Bill had a really nice dad. And I see where Bill gets his kindness from. 
he's a good guy too. Uh, we had one fan ask, did you ever meet the Dingo Warrior? <laughs> I'm responsible for Dingo going to New York. That's another that's another reason why I can't never go. <laughs> Didn't never go. <laughs> we Al Al Perez and me and Tony had an apartment in Fort Worth. <clears throat> Dingo and Lynn Denton and a couple of guys had apartment in the other building at the other end of the complex. Anyway, one morning, there's boom, 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 beating on the door. You know, we'd probably been up all night. Who knows? But probably a long trip the night before. But uh, Dingo comes in. He said, I don't know what to do, Eric. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, whoa, whoa. I calmed him down. And, you know, his his nervousness and wildness is a, not a gimmick. It's real. And uh, calmed him down. I said, now, tell me what you're talking about, Jim. And he said, uh, Pat Patterson just called me. And, uh, man, they want to bring me to New York, keep me off of TV, have me work house shows, and groom me some more before they put me on TV. And uh, I said, what would you tell him? He said, I told him I wasn't ready. No. I said, oh, my God. I said, Jim, go back to your apartment right now. Call him right back and say, Pat, when you called me a while ago, you woke me up. I'm not really sure what I said. (laughs) But you tell him, Pat, whatever you want me to do, I am gun-ho, and I'll do it. He went back, called Pat, told him that Pat had woke him up when he called him, and he didn't really know what he said, blah, 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 rest is history. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Uh, how was his attitude back then? Because there was a lot of jealous people, obviously, because he got the push quick. We hear both yeah. sides. Some people say it was really nice. Other people like to build on the uh, the side that he was an asshole. But what was your experience? He, him and I got along. You know, I mean, every, almost everybody got along. But uh, him and I got along. Uh, he could be difficult. Uh, he did not. He did not love the wrestling business the way most of us love the wrestling business. Uh, it was, it was uh, maybe just like a job to him, where to one of, the, one of us, it was more than a job. It was our life. And uh, uh, he didn't have the respect for the business that uh, the, guy had, the guys have. I don't, I don't know really how to explain it other than... Uh, he didn't really give a shit about the wrestling business, I guess is what I'm trying to sugarcoat. But uh, uh, it was a good guy. And uh, he had some off-the-wall ideas and stuff that made no sense, but they made sense to him. Made sense to him. And, hey, he made it. He made it. My God, he made it. We have another person asking, do you think Fritz could could have competed with Vince if he decided to make World Class go national instead of staying in Dallas? Yes and no. Uh, Fritz, Fritz uh, wouldn't have went whole hog national like Vince did. Vince said, screw the world, I'm taking over. Fritz uh, 
had his territory. His buddy had this other territory. His other buddy had this territory. They all respected the boundaries and this and that. And uh, Fritz would not have exposed the wrestling business the way Vince set up David Schultz to expose it into sports entertainment completely. He would have never did that. So I, I don't know that uh, uh, now it, it wouldn't have happened. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, they could have went and took over. No, no. Uh, and as the tragedies started happening uh, with, you know, with David in Japan, that knocked Fritz for a loop. And then Mike, oh, my gosh, that just uh, – uh, Fritz was a different person. I knew him before Mike and I knew him, you know, after Mike and uh, uh, he, he, he lost it. He was so burned out. He was so burned out with the business and the, the problems with the boys and the, the tragedies. He, he, Fritz was burned out on life. So uh, in a, in a good, good case scenario, uh, back in the day when Fritz Fritz was uh, doing his thing, he probably could have competed with any territory anywhere. But it just the stars were not aligned. I guess we had someone want to ask, "What's your thoughts on Lance Von Eric and that whole angle?" The stupidest thing they ever did. They needed another Von Eric and <laughs> Fritz, and when they exposed it, like. Gary and I both beg Fritz not to do that. Uh, but, y'all, we have to. We have to come clean. God, you should have never went dirty in the first place. But now just he's in, in South Africa. He's met a girl. He won't come home. He's staying there. Forget him. Quit talking about him. Out of sight, out of mind, it'll go away. But Fritz had to go do the disclaimer on TV, and that was another big nail in the coffin. So now you're telling us you just right out lied to us. And, uh, you know, Kevin, I agree with Kevin on that one. Kevin was against that whole thing from the get-go. I heard an interview with Lance. It's actually on this channel where he says he never really wrestled much after that anyway. So if they had just not said anything, it's not like anyone would have known. He would have just disappeared. Exactly right. That's what we tried to tell Fritz because he hadn't been there for a while. Just let it go. Let it go. That's like the heart attack angle at Reunion Arena. I beg, Fritz, please don't do this. And some people say he didn't fake the heart attack. Bullshit. I was in the booking meetings. It was set up, fake the heart attack. And uh, please, Fritz, don't let him talk to you. And Fritz saying to me was, Eric, Mantell is paying all the losses. I just feel like I have to do what they want me to do. And that's the well, whatever, but you're really going to put another nail in the coffin, Fritz, and I hate to say it, I told him that. I hate to say it that way, but you're really, it might be the last one. And boy, did that backfire. God. That backfired. That's when uh, Mantel and uh, Michael were booking, and uh, I was an assistant. <laughs> just, just because Fritz wouldn't let them fire me. <laughs> Speaking of, what's your thoughts on the Freebirds? Oh, they were super. Wild son of a guns, boy. Part, you know, the, you the story. Them, you? you probably partied it up with them. The, the story about the parties and all this ain't exaggerated. They ain't exaggerated at all. And uh, 
probably not told wild enough. And uh, Bam Bam was a tough son of a gun, man. I knew him when he was 16 working for Nick Goulas in Tennessee. He was tough as nails trying to get a charger in it. There we go. I just yeah. noticed it said five minutes dead. Well, thank you for being so generous with your time. There's just been a lot of fan questions on here. And as you said, you don't make a lot of appearances. Hey, I'm glad you said that. Uh, The gathering coming up. I'm going to do my last. I'm going to do my last uh, convention appearance. uh, July the 20 something at the 23rd, 22nd, 23rd at the gathering in North Carolina. I think that's going to be the last. at least the last one for a year or two. I don't know. And let's just start uh, coming to world-class pro wrestling events, but those aren't necessarily conventions. But but who knows if people will be able to meet you once those uh, right. wouldn't that be? Start. Wouldn't that be something for me to come back to Dallas and uh, actually mean something? Right? That, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Bosnick, maybe you should call me after this call and uh, – you know, y'all got my interest up by reminis- letting me reminisce all these good memories I had the last hour. And uh, you know. What about the rumor that uh, World Class might be coming to Dallas in October? Is there any uh, truth to those rumblings, by the way, Jerry? Uh, I mean, it's possible. You know, it's inevitable that we're coming back to the Dallas area. It's all about just the logistics and the scheduling of it. And uh, But, yeah, we're definitely coming back to Dallas. Like I said, it's inevitable. World Class. I mean, Dallas is the home of the world class, and it always will be. There's no way to to stray away from Dallas when it comes to that. Uh, you know, uh, Eric, one one thing I had, too, that I was thinking about, what's your thoughts on Jerry Jarrett? Where does he rank amongst the greatest promoters of all time? And, uh, you know, nobody's heard from him in a while either. Right. Jerry Jarrett, in my opinion, is one of, if not the smartest wrestling promoters I have ever dealt with in professional wrestling. Uh, Carlos Colon would be up there very high too. And, uh, but Jerry is uh, an encyclopedia of professional wrestling and professional wrestling promoting. Uh, he's just, a, we, we, we got along. We got along and, uh, uh, you know, not only call Eric Embry, maybe call Jerry Jarrett. You know, he's richer yeah. than six, six feet up a cow, and uh, he's probably bored. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he might, hey, Jerry Jarrett and Eric Embry can make one last hoorah. That's a that problem. would be wild, wouldn't it? Jerry That's Jarrett, Jerry Bostic, and Eric Embry. Ah, you can't afford us, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can't afford it. Brian Burson, I'll put up one last uh, clip from a wrestling magazine that he sent in. This is from 1983. Wow. That's quite an elbow drop. You got some good elevation there. Yeah, I, I'm crippled now from all that crazy crap. But yeah, that was a cool picture. 83. Wonder where that was from. One of the wrestling magazines, I think uh, one of the after magazines. Oh, well, you know, Bill took care of me over the years. He took care of me. Jerry, I had some fans asking me, will I have you on here for the events coming up? You have the combined one September 19th in San Antonio, 
with River City Wrestling on October 3rd in Wichita, Kansas. Is there any information about tickets or will fans just have to subscribe to the World Class Pro Wrestling YouTube channel and follow you on Facebook for that? They should definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel. Where else are you going to get great conversations like this with Eric? And uh, you can check worldclassprowrestling.com for ticket updates on everything or our social media. Uh, We have a Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all of that. And uh, tickets will go up, sell on or will go on sale soon for both of those events. So just keep checking back there. Uh, you know, it's exciting to come back into the game. And, uh, oh, man, Fritz, one of our viewers, Fritzy Schnitzel, said, uh, having Eric Embry as your booker will bring back credibility to wrestling or something along the line. Thank you, Fritz. I appreciate that, brother. That that means a lot to me for somebody to say that because uh, – I would bring back credibility because uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, that that's cool. Thank you, buddy. And hey, hey guys out there, uh, this uh, world-class pro wrestling, uh, what do you call it? Is it YouTube or whatever? Uh, uh, send, send that link to all your all your wrestling buddies and so forth. Let, let's build this thing up. Let's get this out there. Let's get this thing a lot of followers. And uh, it's pretty new. So, you know, some of your buddies might not even know about it. And uh, feel free to send them my email address. Uh, you know, if there's any old fans, old, your buddies that used to watch me that uh, might have some questions or something, hey, bring it on, buddy. Let's have some fun. We've already got people asking for a second part of this interview. <laughs> well, give me give me some uh, some ideas on some other stuff to talk about, or people keep asking questions, or email me your questions, and uh, we'll do it twenty more times. I've enjoyed it. I've had fun. As have I. Thank you. And so I'm old. Much I'm old. I don't friends. have a lot of fun anymore. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're just shy of 3,000 subscribers on the World Class Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. It's only about 15 short. So if you're not subscribed to it, please subscribe and share this video around like Eric says. And hopefully he'll come back. Maybe if he does jump on board with the promotion and in some sort of capacity behind the scenes or in front of the camera, who knows? Uh, maybe he'll come back on and talk about it some more, but I'll let you guys close this up however you want. And thank you very much, Eric, for joining us. I've been trying to get Eric on for years. I wish you had, I wish you had got a hold of me because you're one of the few that I would have said yes to brother. One of the few. Well, I greatly appreciate it. So, so you guys can close this up with whatever you want to plug. As you said earlier, the gathering coming up and, and world-class pro wrestling September 19th in San Antonio and uh, October the 3rd in Wichita right now. I know that uh, Shane Douglas and Scorpio are already signed on for San Antonio and Shane Douglas is also going to be in Wichita along with Stefan Bonner, Jacob Fatu, the blood hunter, and maybe Jerry can fill us in on some more about those shows. Uh, we're really looking forward to coming back to Wichita, one of my favorite places. Uh, Jacob Fatu will also be on that show. Fuego del Sol. Uh, you know, there's a whole list of people. Great talent. You know, there's some of the some of the best talent in wrestling right now are on the independent level. And and if you haven't been watching a lot of it, you should because uh, you know 
if you look at a lot of the stars in WWE right now or AEW, a lot of them got their start on the indie level. Indie, le- indie wrestling is uh, at top notch right now, top notch. And, you know, personally, I want to thank Eric for coming on, uh, you know, more so than even doing the podcast or anything that we do or will do in wrestling. You know, I'm, thanks for being a good friend to me and, uh, you know, checking on me and stuff whenever you don't have to and talking to me and and being the good friend that you are. I appreciate it. That's a cotton bow there, right? Cotton bow pick. Yeah, I think that's Steve Austin that has you in an arm bar there, which is pretty cool. Well, or Jeff. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's been a it's been a while ago, <clears throat> but guys, hey, I've been, I've really enjoyed being on here, and uh, uh, but you know, fans really uh, let's let's get this site off the ground. Uh, really send it, uh, send the link or whatever you call that, the address to your buddies and your the other wrestling fans, and let's let's uh, grow this thing and uh, have some fun with it and just see how big we can take it. And, uh, you know, uh, world-class pro wrestling, because world-class championship wrestling, the cease and desist order says I cannot use. So world-class pro wrestling – really, really might be making a big-ass comeback in Dallas, Texas. You know, you, really, keep saying, all you, keep saying right. we, you keep saying we like you're coming along on this journey with us. Ah, you know, <laughs> you never say never in this business, that's for sure. And, uh, you you know, my ear is certainly uh, uh, pointed uh, to listen to that 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 way, you know, it. uh uh, I'm not going to say, oh, yes, yes, Eric Embry's back. Oh, no. Not yet, anyway. That's a good have, place to leave it. Have a Thank good one.